0: Father, we thank you that you have tasted that you are good. And we thank you and praise you that you provide for all of our needs. And we especially thank you this morning that we have your word in a language that we can understand. Help us now as we think particularly about this word. you understand better who you are and what you're doing in this world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For many years this... Many of you will know the Australian culture was sympathetic to the Christian church and the Christian message. Uh, But in the last 20, 30 years, that's changed. Uh, Dramatically changed. Um, It it used to be once upon a time that the church would be consulted when the government was making new laws, but now it's just another one of the interest groups that might be consulted when there's a new law that's coming up. And even today, there's a certain hostility towards Christians in our society, even suspicion. Uh, Some of you may remember that about this time last year, uh, the State Government Education Department actually banned uh, three books that were being used in high school scripture. Why? Because they contained the advice, in some of them at least, that sex before marriage was wrong. And the Department of Education viewed that as being harmful uh, towards the uh, development of adolescents. Uh, so something that was once traditional Christian teaching was now regarded with suspicion and in some cases regarded as being wrong, uh, thankfully by God's grace that books were reinstated. But it did give us a bit of an indication of the environment in which we now work, in which we now serve and live. Although Christians are no longer regarded as being moral guardians, but now in many instances are being regarded with moral suspicion. Remember what Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And Jesus knew that the gospel would be opposed and that his followers would be persecuted and even hated. But even though our context is changing, one thing has not changed. Jesus is still in charge. His gospel still needs to go out. It's still the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, and Jesus is building his church, the gospel is unstoppable. So how do, we, how do we live in a culture that is becoming increasingly hostile to the Christian message? How do we respond? Well, Peter here is writing to uh, believers in Asia Minor, what we call uh, modern day Turkey today. Uh, they live in an environment that's hostile uh, to the Christian message. Uh, some of or many of them, are, are brand new Christians. They've turned their back on a lifestyle that was part the opposite of the Christian message and now they're Christians. How do they respond in a hostile culture? Well, Peter tells them, and it also applies to us, how we respond in a changing culture. And there are three things here. The first thing to remember is, remember who you are. Uh, please look at verse 14. And we're told there that we're obedient children. We are the children of God. It's a remarkable thing when you think about it. There is now higher status in this world. We're the children of God. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? It means that we obey our Father in heaven. And that means turning our back on the things that we used to do. Turning our back on things that might actually distract us away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about what this might have meant for the people to whom Peter was writing. They lived in a highly sexualized world. When you went to the baker, you were reminded of sex. we you looked at some of the symbols on the wall. When you went to someone's home for a meal, you look at the plates and even the lamps, and you'd be reminded of sex. As you walked along the street, you'd look down the footpath and there were advertisements that had been scratched into the stones as well. Their world was just as sexualized as our world today is. It's just that we've got more of it through the internet and other things. A very similar environment. And it must have been hard for Christians, for people that have been non-believers and, and just steeped themselves in that world. And they become believers and now they have to stop those practices that they used to engage in. But try and imagine this. You live in Baratara in first century Asia Minor. Uh, you're a leather worker. You've just become a Christian. It's Friday night. It's the night that all the leather workers go together to one of the local temples. And uh, there you make sacrifices to the God. Uh, you, uh, you have a meal, just like, it's, it's like going to a restaurant today. You have a meal, there'll be some drinking, you might get drunk, and there may be sex afterwards. Okay, that was the sort of thing that was happening in those days. Uh, so it's Friday night, and you're not there. people begin to wonder. That's right, you, you turned up like you did every Friday night for our usual leather workers at Union Gathering. And people notice, you haven't come. Why? Because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. If you had your paper Bibles or electronic Bibles, you might want to flip across to chapter 4 and verse 3. Peter actually comments on this sort of situation. 1 Peter 4 verse 3 For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to choose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flow of dissipation, and they keep abusing you. So he's saying here, here are Christians they are being abused because they're no longer doing what they used to These are fairly hard times. Why do we not join in such behavior? Because we're the children of God. That's the simple and the short answer. And we want this by the family likeness. A, a Christian is someone who's experienced a radical, bloody revolution in their lives. There's been a change of government. It's no longer self, now, now it's Jesus, complete with all new desires and all new aspirations. And, and notice now in verse 15, this is to touch every area of our life. But just as he who calls you is holy, so be holy in all you do. And Peter's saying here, that there's no such thing as casual holiness. You can't take your life and say, all right, be holy in this area, and not in that area, and holy in this area, and so on. You can't say, this is my work life, God can't interfere with it, this is my personal life, here, I'll let God do some work there. No, it's to affect every area of our life. We can't compartmentalise it that the Lordship of Jesus is to touch everything. Why? Because we belong to Jesus. We're his children. See, it's important that we remember who we are. One of the things the worldwide church is struggling with in the first century is this area of homes. It used to be years ago that you'd go to church and you hear the, the warning, be careful you don't become worldly. Be careful you don't take on the, the attributes of the surrounding culture. And you've now got the situation around the world where congregations, where denominations, when it comes to the area of sexuality, have just abandoned centuries of wholesale Christian teaching. Where they've just said, look, we've now woken up. We've suddenly discovered what 2,000 years of Christians didn't know, that it doesn't matter what the sexuality is, you can just go and do whatever you want. That's a tragic situation. When I was four years old, I moved from Scotland to Australia. And uh, when I went to primary school, Oxford school, sorry, uh, the ladies in the canteen used to compete with each other to hear my Scottish accent. Uh, They thought it was quite unusual. And uh, a friend's mother told me this years later. But if you listen to me now, you won't really hear a Scottish accent. There might be something there. Why is it gone? Why did I get rid of it? Because I didn't want to be different. I want to fit in and be like every everybody else. and Many congregations now face the same issue today. They don't want to be different. They don't want to say Jesus is the only way to God. They don't want to say that we think same-sex marriage is wrong, uh, according to the Bible, and so on. But, see, friends, you can't be a faithful congregation, a faithful denomination, if you abandon the teaching of Jesus. You just can't do it. You cannot... Do it. The moment a church decides to be just like its surrounding culture, it might as well close its doors. Unless it breaks. You see, what does that culture need from us? It doesn't need us to be like it. It doesn't need us to validate its lifestyle, its behaviour. It doesn't need us to turn a blind eye and be different. It needs us to be different. Not for the sake of being odd, unusual, different. But for the sake of being an alternative, for the sake of pointing people to the living God through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, six months ago, the um, Presbyterian Church held its assembly, and I chaired that. And we decided there that if the federal government eventually brings in same sex marriage, that we give serious consideration to withdrawing from the Marriage Act. Uh, the following Monday morning, Julie and I were having a day off. I was stepping on to one of the ferries at Sydney Harbour, there's a fan call in the Australian newspaper, wanted to know why the Presbyterian church was going to do this. And he said, are you fearful that the fact that if ministers refuse to perform same-sex weddings, they'll be put in jail? And I said, no, that's not our fear. The reason we're doing this is because it's just plain wrong according to the Bible. It's just plain wrong. You don't approve this sort of thing. We want people around us to know Jesus. We want people around us to know that Jesus demands that they turn to Him in repentance and faith. And and we can't do that at the same time as saying it doesn't matter how you live. When it comes to the area of your sexuality, we need to be salt and light in our generation. And that means we need to remember who we are. It's not up to us to determine how we live, what we approve of and so on that comes from God. The second thing we need to do is, is live as the people of God because we we'll have been redeemed by Jesus. Look at how many put this in verses 18 and 19 in chapter 1. For you know, it was not the perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now, did you notice that the cost of our rescue there it was the blood of the lord jesus christ that's a shocking thing you think about but god that our situation was so serious that he would send his son to die on the cross to pay for our sin that's an extreme price but god knew that such a sacrifice was needed that's what it would take and he was prepared to pay that price And so we need to remember this and not let ourselves become so used to it that we we forget that it's a shocking thing that our situation is that serious did you notice the way that gold and silver are described in verse 18 they're perishing that's not normally how you think about gold and silver you know when the stock market's going down the people that have got gold and silver stored away they think we're safe we're fine because gold and silver they're permanent but what does the gospel do him in, sorry, take the things we think are permanent and puts them into their true category, which is temporary. With what will be redeemed? Something far more precious than gold or silver. With the blood of Christ. That's what Peter tells us here. And when Peter thinks about the old way of life, he calls it an empty way of life. Now some people say that's offensive. How dare you say that before a, before a person as Jesus that their, their life is empty? But that's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. Ultimately, it's an empty way of life. It might look good. It might look rich and fulfilling. But on the inside, it will lead a person to hell. If a person does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you will know just what that is like. You'll remember what it was like before you knew Jesus. You'll remember the emptiness that was there. uh, The lack of meaning and the frustrations and the fears that were there. But Jesus gives a life that is satisfying. Because the life that Jesus offers is real life. It's permanent. It goes beyond the grave. And so Peter's telling us that at the heart of the Christian message it is the most radical Christian message that anyone has ever heard. And there are many people today who think that being a follower of Jesus it's just about being polite, being a good member of society, Uh, behave yourself keeping your nose clean and so on but that fails to come to terms with who jesus is with what jesus came to do he came because we were rebels against god because we we turned our back on him and and that's why he says here in verse 40 23 that you've been born again not a perishable seed but of imperishable Truly living and enduring Word of God. You see, the Christian, the Christian life is it's not a makeover program, you know, where you just tidy your life up somehow like you see on a reality television program. No, it's a totally new beginning. Born again, where the slate is wiped clean. And here's the stunning thing it's Jesus who sees to it that the slate is kept clean. Despite our weaknesses, despite our sin, because he is the one who ultimately makes us acceptable to God. We need to remember who we are because it's easy to forget that. So how is that going to affect the way that we live as the people of God? It must shape our life as a congregation. We're not just individuals who have been born again. We're family. We are family and we need to learn together as the family of God we need to live together as the family of God we need to think together as the family of God in a culture that often thinks individually we are family and Jesus is the one who's joined us together in the early days of my marriage uh, Julie's father would sometimes say to me you know, you can choose, choose your friends but not the family and he was having a polite go with me and that's true of the church who belongs to the church it's God that does that and God doesn't make mistakes when he calls people to belong to himself And, and that means we need to work hard at getting on as a family like any family there'll be ups, there'll be downs, there'll be misunderstandings but that means we're to value one another because each of us has the spirit of God living within us and he's the one that joins us together and that means we welcome each other because Christ welcomes us. That means we bear one another's burdens because we belong to Christ. You see, when it comes to how we treat one another, the Christian message is revolution. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're equal. No one has a higher status, whether you're the state moderator or whether you're you know a cleaning duty that week at church. We are all equal because the the ground at the foot of the cross is level. No one has a higher status or a higher rank or a higher worth because it's Jesus who gives us our worth. And that makes the Christian message revolutionary. I'll give you an example of how the Christian message uh, does this. Uh, Five times in the New Testament we are told to greet one another with a holy kiss. And uh, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 14, Peter writes that. He says, greet one another with a kiss. Now, in those days, the kisses were only reserved for family. You didn't go around just kissing just anybody. And so think about that verse there. In a church, you've got Jews, the former Jews, and Gentiles. And they kiss each other. You've got slaves kissing each other. Keep kissing their master. They greet each other that way. It's just shocking. It's scandalous. It just overturns social conventions. But that's what the gospel does. It takes the things that our culture thinks are valuable and and breaks down the sort of barriers that we erect. That's the radical nature of the gospel. We welcome one another in Christ. Now think about what all of this says to the watching world. Uh, The local congregation is meant to be the place where we demonstrate a love that is literally out of this world. Think of the the sort of people that belong to an average church. People with different ethnic backgrounds, some people who are young, some people who are not so young, Uh, people who have hair, people who don't, and people who have education and those. Who joins us together? It's Jesus. He is the one that does that. And I can't think of any other group of society that has such a diversity that meets on a weekly basis as your local church. That is a radical thing. The government doesn't bind us together through some program where it pays us to come here. No, we do it voluntarily. We're bound together by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we are, the people of God. And finally, the third thing we need to do is keep on remembering, sorry, keep on proclaiming Christ. As I said earlier on, we find ourselves in a situation that 20 or 30 years ago was quite unimaginable, where this hostility towards the church, towards Christians, not helped sometimes by some of the things the church has done in the past. And how do we respond in a culture where we're told, "No, you're a Christian, you don't have the right to speak on this issue." At last year on the Q and A program, uh, they had a woman who was on there. She was the, um, uh, the the daughter of some lesbians. She become a Christian. She's from the U.S. I'm on people on a panel Q Said, "Sorry." We don't want any of your evangelical claptrap. Please shut up. You can have a right to speak. You're a Christian. We don't want to hear from people like you. And there's a great temptation there to just keep quiet. But we can't do that. Because the Jesus is Lord and Jesus is returning. So please look at verse 13 where Peter says, Therefore prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Where is our hope? Our hope isn't in the stock market or the uh, the price of our house or so on. No, our hope is Jesus. We fix our eyes on Him and we're not given the temptation to find meaning in those things. No, we find our meaning in Jesus. And in a culture that says, Christian, be quiet, can't afford to do that. We can't afford to be silent. Jesus says to his followers, You are the light of the world. Do you really believe that? You are the light of the world. What does a light do? It shines in darkness. It shows that there's an alternative, it dispels the darkness. And we're meant to show the watching world as a congregation, as a denomination, as a church, that there is a way out of the hopelessness that so besets our society. Uh, there are many people today that would say, look, forget about any talk of Jesus. Yes, uh, he lived as a man. We know that from history, but that's about it. Uh, there are people who say, look, uh, you talk about resurrection, there's no resurrection, it's just made up. You know? Some of the followers of Jesus, you know, one afternoon, and cocked at an idea like that. Friends, there were scoffers back then, just as there are scoffers today. There is nothing new. Unbelief is not a 21st century uh, invention. What did the Christians and Peters do, they do, in the face of unbelief? Again, if you've got your Bible, look at 1, chapter, 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 15. 1 Peter three fifteen, where he says... But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I think the model there that Peter's talking about is, if you live a life that honors Christ, people will notice, particularly when it's a life of great contrast to the surrounding culture, people will notice and they'll say, why are you different? why do you do this why do you live like this and he's saying then you can talk about the lord jesus christ you see it's interesting i wonder how the churches in these days grew i mean you couldn't put a sign at the front of a um, a school like thyroid primary school and say you know thyroid church meets on sunday mornings uh, you couldn't have notice boards or websites and newspapers how did people know that the church existed how did the church in those days Okay, impact on the local community it was through the lives of the Christians. The quality of their life, the quality of their love the quality of the fact that they were different, not for the sake of being different but because of Jesus, that shows something to people. That, that, that caused people to, to want to know more about them. Think back to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 4 they think it's strange that we do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they keep abuse them. Presumably, in there was something that didn't keep abuse on the Christians. They inquired about the Christian faith, and then they too became followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the sort of people that Christians are meant to be in chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. When Christians live as they're meant to live, it's incredibly attractive very very attractive it's the aroma of life and when they don't what happens it ends up on the front page of the city morning Herald. very sad but it, for christians that do live faith, it gives opportunities to speak about the lord jesus christ you see i've often been intrigued by schools of have factories sorry churches that have been in factories um they haven't got a prominent location Abedagra It's usually through people inviting their friends, it's through people telling others about the Lord Jesus Christ. So friends, if we love one another, if we are patient with one another, if we forgive each other, then that shows the watching world that the gospel of Jesus Christ actually works. What a witness it is to the transforming power of, of the Lord Jesus when we live together as the people of God. And that requires looking at how we, we live as a church and looking at it in a different way. I mean, so often people say, I'm going to church. And what do they mean? I'm, I'm going to sit in a building with other believers. Friends, we don't go to church. We are the church. We are the church. We're the church on Sunday. We're the church on Monday and Tuesday and, and, and so on. And when we gather each Sunday. It's a dress rehearsal, that great and final day, when together we'll stand before God's throne, lost in wonder, love, and in praise. We are a rescued people. Let that sink in. We've been rescued by Christ to live a new life. Let's live that out as the people of God. Let's pray. Lord, no, God, we thank you. We praise that you've made us to be different because of who Jesus is and what you've done in us. Help us to be different. Help us to be a lighthouse and to show the people that we know, to show the surrounding community that there is life in Jesus. Help us to be faithful. We pray that Satan may not divide us in any way, but that instead that we might have a unity that comes from Christ, a unity that shines, with the love of the Lord Jesus in this community. We pray for this community that many, many people might come to know the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And we ask all of this in the strong and precious name of Jesus.